Hello and welcome to The Next Year in Payments, a podcast series brought to you by Linklaters. People have used cash to exchange money for thousands of years, and it's only 50 or so years ago that for most people their choices were limited to just cash or check. Today, however, there is a huge variety in payment methods. And as financial services have become more and more digitalized, the balance has tilted away from cash towards cash alternatives. For example, E-commerce card payments, wallet services, and digital payments are just some of the new ways people are now interacting with money, with many more providers offering open banking and interactive apps to help make the most of one's money. But the trend towards digital money does risk alienating some in society who continue to primarily rely on cash, and this has resulted in some regulators putting access to cash firmly on their list of priorities. I'm Harry Edis, and I'm joined today by Terry Yangu and Francis Hodgkins to explore what the shift from cash to digital means for the year to come and beyond. Thanks, Harry. So it's hopefully of no surprise to anyone that the movement away from using cash for payments is set to continue into the next year and beyond. And in fact, this has been an emerging global trend for around the last decade or so. 2017 was also somewhat of a milestone year for the UK in this respect, in that we witnessed card payments overtaking cash for the first time as the most common method of payment in the UK. Now, as at today, cash is still used in about one in every three payment transactions in the UK. And a recent report on access to cash forecasts that we're approximately 15 years away from this falling to just one in every 10 transactions. So the question then turns to, what is replacing cash? And there are several answers to this question but we can broadly bucket these into one of three categories. First, the use of debit and credit cards, including the payments infrastructure that comes with these. Second, new payment services offering new customer experiences which still rely on that existing infrastructure. And finally, the innovative new payment systems, some of which rely on existing payment rails and others that are offering entirely new payment rails. That's right. On your first point, credit and debit cards have played a huge role in the decline in cash use. The major card providers have ridden the wave of internet shopping and contactless payments to displace cash for most transactions. But on your second point, more recently, we've seen a proliferation of new entrants to the market, offering customers new and innovative ways to make payments. Good examples of this are the likes of Google Pay, Apple Pay, Monzo, Revolut, etc. All of which use existing payment rails for point-of-sale payments. What they are marketing is a digital user-friendly app to interface with, giving the customer a greater sense of control and reducing friction within the payment process. For example, some providers offer a physical card that allows you to switch between different cards via an app. We've also seen the embedding of payment technology within wearables and buttons around the home, such as Amazon's Dash button, to help customers quickly and seamlessly make purchases. Allied to this, many of these new entrants are offering other features as their USP to try and attract new entrants. So some will be taking advantage of open banking to provide money management services to the customers. Another example is GoHenry, a wallet provider aimed at parents to provide their children with access to card payments while giving parents the ability to control spending. 
But one thing to reiterate, all of these entrants rely on existing means of payment, so new payment technologies have not always sped up the payment process. For certain types of transfer, it can still take days to transfer cash abroad using a number of correspondent banks and other intermediaries. So, as Terry mentioned, we're also increasingly seeing new payment systems being set up. PayPal is one example of a payment service that has been around for a long time now, but which sits outside of the traditional payment systems run by the major card providers. There are other good examples from elsewhere around the world too. Peer-to-peer -peer apps in the Netherlands, Sweden and Denmark have also had a huge impact on their respective markets. In Sweden, for example, 60% of the population use Swish, an account-to-account -account mobile payment app launched by six large Swedish banks in collaboration with Riksbank. That, systems such as Swish and iZettel, have meant cash payments have fallen by a dramatic 80% in the last decade in Sweden. It might not be a surprise that Sweden is a cash-light society, but less well-known is the extent to which digital payments have come to dominate transactions in China. There, the market for digital payments, and in particular payments via mobiles, has really taken off over the last decade. And we can put Libra into this bucket too. While details of Libra are a little hazy, the expectation is that it will be possible to transfer over the blockchain value between Libra participants almost instantaneously. So while you may need to use existing payment rails to on-ramp cash onto the Libra system, when you are on the system, you can transfer value much quicker than through traditional methods. Exactly. And put together, all of these changes combined are radically impacting the means with which we interact with money. So for example, in recent times, there has been an unprecedented surge in the number of payment apps and the functionalities that they offer, such as helping people to budget, manage payments, monitor balances, and all of this information can be collated from across several financial service providers into just one convenient place. Now, much of this has been facilitated by legislation, although regulators are also looking at whether existing regulation goes far enough to capture some of the newer technologies. Taking the EU, the Second Payment Services Directive, better known as PSD2, has broadened the scope of licensable payment services to include payment initiation and account information services. And whilst this has brought the providers of such services into the realms of financial regulation, it has also enabled them to obtain access to customers' bank account information, which is absolutely crucial to their business models. Turning to the UK, we've seen the movement towards open banking. This was originally conceived to open up competition in the banking sector and has resulted in the sharing of customer account data between banks and third-party providers who are often newer to the payments market, which in turn has provided the scope for a range of new and innovative services to be provided. However, with new regulations have come additional burdens. Those providing certain aspects of open banking will be required to comply with secure customer authentication, which some regard as an unnecessary hurdle to payment ease, while others, particularly regulators, view as a necessary element to help reduce fraud. In any event, the regulators, and in turn the regulatory framework that has been cultivated, has resulted in greater competition within the payment sector, arguably to the benefit of the customer market. But the regulators are also concerned about some of the knock-on effects from the digitalisation of money. In particular, financial exclusion, 
which Harry alluded to earlier. Financial exclusion is an important concern, as is the prudential impact of stablecoins such as Libra. On the first of these, not everyone still has access to a bank account, nor does technology work infallibly, as anyone who's been to the remoter parts of the UK, and in some cases less remote, can attest. There is also the question of the infrastructure supporting cash payments, which will obviously be impacted by a decline in cash usage. Effectively, every cash machine in the UK is connected to the link network, and this network is experiencing the largest decline in cash machine withdrawals that it has ever seen. Over 3,500 free-to-use cash machines disappeared from our high streets in the first part of 2019 alone, and the proportion of pay-to-use machines is on the up. And this has prompted several concerns about how to ensure people can continue to access cash. In the UK, cash infrastructure is estimated to cost around £5 billion a year to run. This is covered predominantly by the retail banks today. It isn't clear what would happen if any of these private companies involved in providing this infrastructure decided to leave the market. It's unlikely that there would be a competitor willing to step in and take over if the market is in a decline. We have recently seen that the government is considering new rules to govern the post office's role in the banking system, given the pivotal role that the Treasury has placed on it in the context of efforts to guarantee access to cash. The payment systems regulator has also required Link to commit to protecting free-to-use cash machines where there isn't a suitable alternative within one kilometre. So, it will be interesting to see where that goes. I suspect that, while there will be new regulatory burdens imposed as processes develop, this is only going to slow the tide towards a more cashless society. This has other benefits and burdens. For example, for governments, this will increase the level of transparency in the economy, reducing tax evasion and increasing the ability to detect money laundering. For payment service providers, there will be a greater need for cybersecurity and other data protection measures. What will be increasingly interesting is how the new digital economy will develop. We have talked about Libra and other stablecoins a little. While these initiatives will increasingly offer payment efficiencies, it is fair to say that not all regulators are fully on board. There are concerns around whether such stablecoins come within the regulatory net currently. Are they e-money, funds, securities, payment securities? And more fundamentally, do they hinder the macroeconomic function of the central banks? The question is, do you need these new technologies? Or can one obtain the same payment efficiencies through existing payment rails, albeit enhanced? And if you do need them, should it be the private sector that offers them? So there are interesting new initiatives. In Sweden, the central bank there is exploring setting up a central bank digital currency, the e-krona. This is intended to combat issues stemming from the decreased link between the consumer and sovereign money. Definitely one to watch, along with other similar initiatives from other central banks. That is all we have time for today. In summary, less cash, more functionality around banking, and possibly completely new methods of payment. It promises to be an interesting few years. Terry, Francis, thank you very much for joining me, and thank you too for listening. Do join us again. Until the next podcast in our series, goodbye.